Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, drama in Manchester as Spurs score late with handball controversy. Arsenal continue to impress under their new coach and a Brighton this season's dark horse. I'm Kate Borsay. And I'm Lindsay Hooper, and this week our guest is Tim Stillman. Tim, good to have you on for this season. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, really enjoying the start of the season, particularly because my own club, Arsenal, has started pretty well. <laughs> I was about to say, no wonder you leapt to the offer of a guest spot on this show, Timothy, uh, because Arsenal are doing so well. But it's great to see, and we're looking forward to getting some insight from you actually behind the scenes at the club. Great to find out a little bit more about Jonas Edeval. Um, Linz, I know we've seen some viewing figures, haven't we, whilst we talk about success. And of course, this is such an important season for the Women's Super League with the new broadcast deal for Sky, which you're a big part of, um, and some encouraging signs so far. There's been some really good figures um, coming in. So the opening weekend ones have been released to media and I've seen quite a few people on socials talking about that. Uh, the BBC, of course, are going to always get great audiences, you'd you'd hope, because the fact that they're on terrestrial. Um, but still, it's no mean feat, is it, trying to get over a million to watch the first women's football show? And I think that's absolute um, credit to them and their marketing team as well, because they really advertised well. And then on Sky, we've had really good figures. Um, the opening weekend was great. I know that the, the weekend just gone was even better. Um, I don't know whether all figures are out there yet, but it's growing. There's certainly a new audience coming to it. Uh, before we came on here, Kate, you know, we checked for this show, uh, a lot of the mentions and interactivity we get on socials, and we've had people reaching out who are listening for the first time and wanting to get into it more. Yeah. So that's really encouraging. From your point of view as well, Tim, you straddle both the men and women's game a bit like we do. Um, have you had lots more people kind of ask, ask you about the women's game or even Arsenal fans who were maybe just fans of the men's game talk about, you know, catching up with the women's game this season for the first time? 
totally it's happened it happened like it's happened a few times over the years but it's been really really concentrated this summer obviously in Arsenal's case high profile signing like Tobin Heath kind of gets tongues wagging and a new manager and everything like that um but but more than ever I'm getting people I'm getting people in my DMs asking me how do I get tickets um and things like that where do I watch how do I watch who should I follow things like that like I think that's happened for me personally more in the last three months than it's probably happened in the whole of the last three years combined that is really encouraging to hear and um it you know totally validates the reason why there's lots of extra investment um for all the obvious reasons about trying to make sure that we aim towards equality but also the fact that if you build it they will come that old that old adage and it certainly seems to be the case this season well, let's start with our first game then to get things kicked off. Probably the most controversial result. It's certainly got everyone talking this weekend. Manchester City won Spurs 2. And the City manager, Gareth Taylor, said it was literally two hands from Spurs' forward, Rosella A.N., which helped them grab a controversial late winner. Lauren Hemp had got on the sheet early on for Manchester City with a superb goal. But the question of a handball was uh, very much muted. It seems pretty definite to me. And actually, it was Taib, the Manchester City goalkeeper, who uh, was registered on the goal sheet with an own goal on 86 minutes. Disappointing week for City, who were knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid 2-1 on aggregate. Tim, where do we start with this one? Do we need to sort of um, address the two hands? Because I think Gareth Taylor's absolutely right in his analysis. But of course, with where the women's game is at the moment, um, no VAR, you are always going to get decisions. Sometimes they will go with you and sometimes they will go against you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this one was was quite stark. It has to be said. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think probably what we should point out here as well, I think before we have the kind of, um, when I say we, I don't mean this podcast, I mean the women's game has the VAR discussion. It, it's more, I think, about professionalising the referees and that's that's very much underway, but that's going to be quite, that's going to take a couple of years to really, really get the referees up to speed. And we're talking about increased exposure of the games and, you know, this is a game on Sky Sports on a Sunday evening when lots of people are in um, and watching football. So a lot of people would have seen this and if even if they weren't watching the game on socials and things like that so I, uh, I yeah I, I think really it's more a case of kind of professionalizing the referees because it is difficult to believe that an assistant and a referee miss that I mean if you're not involved uh, emotionally quite funny <laughs> in a way because it was so stark and even Rosella Ian seemed to be laughing about it with the referee afterwards yeah afterwards I saw that yeah the problem with it is that whilst it takes time, because you've got a fully professional league, so you need fully professional officials, I agree. But whilst that t takes time to get in place, uh, we're just gonna have it every single weekend, if not a controversial decision near on every game. And so what that does is it distracts from the football. It distracts from what's happened on the pitch. You know, we could have been talking about how Lauren Hemp caused them so much trouble in the first half. Um, you know, not that I'd want to be talking too much about injuries, but Esme Morgan, um, that was a, a real tough moment for Manchester City because she's deputising for Lucy Bronze and it calls into question now who's going to deputise for her because Georgia Stanway was pulled into that position during this match and that's certainly her out of kilt. So um, that throws up another discussion which we didn't end up having and the fact that Rachel Williams scored for the first time in 29 WSL matches we've not spoken about that as much post-match because that's 
what we've been talking about is the handball that led to the the winner and that's the pity i think is that we start talking about mistakes rather than talking about the the football yeah and also remember you have to question manchester city and the fact that they allowed themselves to get into this position it wasn't as if there was a succession of bad results they were in the position where where it was one all after um after williams scored you know so you have to question manchester city and not giving themselves enough of a cushion how do they get themselves into the situation where they're conceding late on. You're right, but another li- another line which I'm glaringly missing is is the player of the match, Becky Spencer. What an absolute performance Brilliant from her! Performance. And given that the the screens are on it, we've got more cameras, and probably one of the fears coming into giving heightened coverage to WSL was that the goalkeepers were going to get a lot of pelters when they are having a brilliant, brilliant. Like I'm talking world-class level stopping in this match from Becky Spencer and she'd just been brought back into the team for Spurs. We want to be talking about that. Um, and I don't know whether you feel the same. I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm really pleased for Becky Spencer personally as well, because she's been in the WSL quite a long time. I know she spent a couple of years in France, but she's largely been an understudy at big clubs, she spent a lot of time at Arsenal, didn't really play, spent some time at Chelsea, didn't really play. And this Spurs move was really the first time, I think, in her career where she's been the kind of, not the unquestioned, but the the definite number one. And I thought she had a really good season last season. And, and in this game, she made uh, the save she makes Ellen White is probably the save of the weekend. Yeah. We should also know, as well as the fact that Manchester City, you know, probably should have been, should have had more of a cushion at that stage in the game. um, Spurs could have scored without the two hands um, as well, arguably. Jessica Naz had a late chance as well. So whilst we're having this discussion and whilst Gareth Taylor's getting very upset about the officiating, um, we, you know, as you rightly point out, uh, we shouldn't be taking this away from Spurs at all. On to Reading Arsenal next. Uh, lots of goals this weekend, and this was another one. Uh, Tim will be bleating on, I'm sure. Um, Arsenal scored three times in the space of 15 first half minutes um, as their impressive start under new head coach Jonas Eideval continued. Uh, they went on to win by four goals to nil. Um, after the game, he said, if we want to be a successful team in domestic and international competition, we need to be a strong team on set pieces. We have work to do, but this was a step in the right direction. Direction. Now, this is exactly where they started with Jem Beattie. It was a set piece, brilliant header, Tim. And is this something that you're getting used to seeing Arsenal do more? Yeah, absolutely. That was actually in response to a question I asked him because a few weeks ago, oh, I think it well was after. <laughs> yeah, um, lucky that, isn't it? Um, I, after Arsenal played PSV a couple of weeks ago and won three one, and he was asked um, about the goals in the game, and he said, "Yeah, they were good goals, but the, you know they're the kind of goals Arsenal usually score. They're you know big flowing passing moves where everything kind of has to go right." But he said, "I want to score more goals from crosses, more goals from counter attacks, more goals from set pieces." I think essentially his message is we need to be able to score every type of goal and if there was a frustration under Joe Montemoro when you've got players like Katie McCabe like Beth Mead like Steph Catley who deliver mean set pieces and you've got a player like Jen Beattie in the six yard area you should be scoring more of that type of goal and that's why I asked him the question I kind of said how pleased were you to see that and and that's something that they're they're definitely working on being I think physically a bit more uh, shall we say threatening than they had been in the past. 
Give us some insight on Adavale then, Tim. You will have been in and around the club more than most journalists with your lean, with your Arsenal lean. <laughs> um, give us some insight. I mean, I mean, it's obviously working well. He's very different on the touchline to Montemuro. I've been able to observe that, but give us a bit of inside insight. Yeah, absolutely. He's, as a character, it's strange when you talk to him um, one-on-one, you know, not dissimilar to Joe. He's just like a a nice guy. Um, But I gather not so much on the training field and you can see in the technical area. I mean, the the press area at Reading is above the dugout and, and I heard him scream at some point. I jumped out of my skin. Um, so there's there's a lot more. He, he came up with a really nice phrase. You might remember this, um, Lindsay, when he spoke to Sky Sports after the Chelsea game and he said something like, if you want your team to feel the heat, you've got to bring the fire. Um, so it's it's almost like quite deliberate, this kind of transmitting that intensity. And because he wants this more high pressing brand of football, I, I think really what's happened is it's, it's just a bit of a change um, from from what Arsenal had under Joe. And it's it's not that what Arsenal had under Joe Montemoro was bad. It's just, I think it went a little bit stale and they've got someone in who's who's kind of, not quite the opposite, but just quite different in transmitting that intensity, particularly from the sidelines. And I think because he wants his team to press, I think he feels like, I'm not sure how naturally that comes to him actually as a character, but I think he feels like he has to do it to kind of keep his players on their toes. If he wants fire, he's got players on fire. Um, Beth Mead got another one in this. Meadamar, another two goals. I mean, they are two players in rich form. Um, Beth Mead, I think, has taken everyone by surprise because not only that she's had all these assists and goals, I, I think it's just how calm she's looked with it. Uh, we know there's been frustrations there. She's now back linked up with England. There's obviously a feeling that she's got something to prove, which could be another motivating factor for her. But we are in this international break now, Tim, and there is a certain Tobin Heath coming in to the, the club. So excited by this, Tim. I mean, Arsenal are my total adopted team. Yeah, where where where's the space for her? Yeah, I mean, and I think this is a key facet behind Beth's form as well, because Nikita Paris and Tobin Heath have come in, who both kind of play on that right-hand side. I mean, I, I asked Jonas about this the day after the signing was announced, and I kind of said, you've got two England right-wingers there. Like, on paper, you don't really need Tobin Heath. And, and the question I asked is, if you can get Tobin Heath, do you just get Tobin Heath? And he kind of said, well, yes, you do. But because he wants his wide forwards in particular to work so hard and press... He was basically saying, I will keep rotating them all the time and not just in terms of my starting lineup, but I'll probably take them off after 60, 70 minutes because of the the fatigue and because of the volume of games Arsenal will have to play. They've had no pre-season, basically, most of those players with the Olympics. So I think he's quite cognizant of the need for a big squad. And with Tobin, I imagine after international breaks when she's flown to America, I, you know, I think Arsenal can afford to look after her. Um, a little bit with the quality they've got in that position. Are we going to see any positional changes, do you think, Tim, if he wants to utilise Beth Mead, Tobin Heath and Nikita Paris? How can he do that, apart from rotation? Yeah, quite possibly, because, you know, Arsenal don't have a totally natural backup to Vivian Miedema at centre-forward, but Nikita Paris can play there. She played there at Lyon. Beth Mead played there for years before she came to Arsenal. Yeah. So I was just thinking that. Is this the start of Beth potentially moving back to being the out-and-out striker? 
I think she could do. I think she could do on occasion. Um, obviously, Viv will play there most of the time, but I, I think that that definitely could happen. Yeah, and and I think ultimately there won't, particularly in that forward line, there won't be first choices for Arsenal. Maybe except for Needham, <laughs> but maybe we Arsenal will be able to afford to rest her a bit more often. The good news for those who like uh, strikers to be paired by names after Kirby, we don't have to do much for Miedemar, do we at all, really? Um, that one's job done. Um, let's talk about Reading. Kelly Chambers after the game, actually, she, she didn't appear too bothered. And I'm and I'm trying to figure my way through this, if you see what I mean. <laughs> she didn't appear too bothered. No, well, no, well, she said that she felt they pressed well for the first 20 and that they couldn't keep that going. But she did sort of say nothing to be overly concerned about. Tim, what do you make of that? Yeah, did, she said something like they didn't carve us open. And I, I was trying to work this out as well, because from where I was sitting, um, they were carved <laughs> open. I, I think possibly what she meant was that Arsenal didn't really pass through them that often. They were, like Arsenal did a lot of, again, they did a lot of pressing, they forced turnovers. And I don't know if she hasn't quite got the memo that that's what Arsenal are doing now. Um, and maybe she thought of it more like Joe Montemoro's Arsenal and thought, oh, well, they didn't really pass through us with, you know, 15, 20 passes. But that's that's not really what Arsenal are doing anymore. That that was all I could really make out from it because I, I thought Arsenal were completely dominant in this game, certainly for the first 60 minutes. It might be because she didn't need to get more than the one handout for goals. and uh, But that is what's going to happen, I think, along the, along the way this season. Arsenal are going to annihilate somebody um, and we might see double figures at some point or getting towards that which we don't want to because I don't suppose that's particularly good for the game but they do look so strong and they do have such good finishers. Did you hear Tim who I'd predicted would win the WSL in the movie <laughs> show? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I did. I don't, I don't think I did. No. Arsenal. Arsenal oh, well, Tim. I was there. I should just remind you Tim. played in the WSL. <laughs> We'll move on to Chelsea against Everton then. And Chelsea bounced back from their opening day defeat to Arsenal with a really comfortable victory here over Everton. Four goals, Kirby, Kerr with two and Bethany England rounding it off. Um, Emma Hayes post-match said, I know we are capable of this performance. I think we should have scored more goals, she said. Uh, for us to come in at 1-0 at half-time was disappointing. I thought it was composed. I'm delighted we kept a clean sheet and defended properly as a collective. And going forward, I thought we had plenty of options the composure among the group is growing and it's early days, which is a warning shot to everybody else, Tim. If this is growing in this group, what are they going to go on to do? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think we all know that they were just a little bit undercooked um, in that Arsenal game with players at the Olympics and whatnot. Um, and I looked at the uh, the XG on this, uh, given Emma's comments, and, and she's actually right. The, Chelsea's XG was 4.3, so they did slightly underperform on that. Um, I, I think what's really interesting for me with Chelsea this season is they've gone to that three at the back system. And um, I, I just wonder whether this is because Emma doesn't really feel like she has, you know, really, really specialist fullbacks. And because of the way they got exposed by Barcelona in behind their fullback, she's played this three at the back in the first two games now, which is a, a slight departure for them. So I'm really interested to see how that pans out. But th this looked a lot more like the Chelsea of last season, definitely. Interestingly, their three at the back um, for this game was Millie Bright, Dan Carter and Ericsson as well. So there was a slight change there. And I wonder if that's, if that's more about the magic combination um, than what we saw last week. Hard to say. Um, 
Everton, let's have a quick chat about them because I think loads of issues to address here. Um, sort of turning over possession in key areas, communication issues with the defenders I saw. They didn't look like they were pressing Chelsea enough. And really concerningly, Willie Kirk at the end of the game, I mean, you have to get to the point in the season where if you've got a run of bad results, someone's going to ask you about the security of your job. But two games in, someone obviously asked him about that and he said that it was out of his control and if he wasn't there in the morning, then he wasn't there. Um, which I thought was quite a stark response, really, with only two games played. They had such a good pre-season, but the morale can't be good. It's a good job that they've got Birmingham in a few weeks' time because that, you know, hopefully the international break is a chance to reset. But what do you make of what's happening there, Tim? Yeah, Everton have now lost, I think I'm right in saying, all 15 of their last, all of their last 15 WSL games against last season's top four. And most of those haven't been close either. Most of them have been three or four nil. So there's something about the way they're setting up for these games. I know they, they tend to go five at the back for these games and they've clearly got to rethink their approach. Mm. I mean, nobody's saying but if, Everton... But if that's set up then, Tim, then it is... That's a Willie Kirk thing, isn't it? Absolutely, 100%. Yes, he, like he's got to rethink that. And, you know, it really just looks like the players have lost a little bit of faith in that as well. You know, the Sam Kerr goal where Finnegan gives her the ball in front yeah, of an open the goal. Yeah, the error, shooting across the goal. I mean, it's just, just to, uh, I mean, what do you put that down to? Concentration yeah, that, yeah that, that looks like a slightly disengaged, you know, like a slight disengagement issue. And yeah, they, they've got to do something different in these bigger games because they should be, they have the players to compete in these games much better than they have been. Well, let's bring in our good friend, Robin Cowan, who's also a commentator and commentated on this very match. So we'll start by saying, Robin, where is it going wrong for Everton on your on your viewing of this performance? Um, I, it's a tough one. You know what? I think, as Willie Kirk has pointed out many, many times, you wouldn't choose to have Manchester City and then Chelsea as your first two games. And I think especially given he's brought in nine new players and... They've had a good pre-season. He was saying he was very pleased with that. But to bed them in properly to a competitive game, I think those two fixtures are really, really difficult. I mean, in the first game against City, he just got it wrong tactically because I'm really not someone who notices things at all, believe me. Um, I'm just swallowing the ball. But I do, even, even I saw that the three at the back, they were getting absolutely rinsed. And so we were quite surprised that he continued with that against Chelsea. And to be honest, there was an improvement in performance between the matches. I do think they were better against Chelsea, um, albeit, again, lacking um, anything going forward again. And I think it, the second goal, which you know was really terrible, um, especially the timing and also the manner of it, really knocked the stuffing out of them. And I think the whole team just kind of, you know, really just melted after that because it was just like oh you know two minutes after half time basically and and that was basically the game one and I think from then on it was just it was almost like oh well this is game over yeah which is which is tough I mean you know Chelsea were out to prove a point Erin Cuthbert afterwards saying that the game was a statement of intent and that was the kind of mindset that they went in with and they just obliterated Everton, as you said. I mean, I noticed Tony Duggan and Valerie Govan, you know, arguably um, two of their, you know, strongest talents coming on as subs. Does he need to look at look at how he's how he's setting up, who he's, who he's bringing on and when, who starts, etc. especially after the international break when everyone's ready to go at it full guns blazing? 
Yeah, again, I would say it, it's it's been a tough start for them. So next, after the international break, they have Birmingham at home and Reading away. And if they don't get, in my opinion, six points out of that, then Willie Kirk will be under pressure. Um, I just think it, it was very difficult. I was surprised, I must say, that Tony Duggan didn't start because I noticed just before the game that she had this ridiculously good record against Chelsea, 11 goals in 13 WSL appearances. I think Govan, who is very, very talented and offers them a huge threat, especially aerially, I think she's not quite fit enough to, to start yet, but hopefully, you know, she goes through the international break, builds her fitness and, and she'll be, she'll be uh, ready to start a little bit more because, you know, they, they've, They've recruited well. They look like they've got a decent bench. You know, you look like the likes of Duggan and Govan on the bench, and that's that's good options off the bench, really. But they offered absolutely nothing in attack. You know, really, really little, and which is surprising because I'm sure they would have seen their Chelsea's game against Arsenal and seen that they can be got at. Yeah, so, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially you know that Chelsea seem to have neglected the sort of um, fullback position a little bit. And Emma Hayes said she she said that they were trying to, but they didn't get the players that they wanted in those positions. So I don't want to say it's a missed opportunity because I don't think anyone expected them really to get anything out of this game. But to to lose again 4-0 would be hugely, hugely frustrating and disappointing and, and really not what was required from an Everton team that I think well, I personally was talking up massively. <laughs> Just shows that you know, I know my stuff. We did it. I know my stuff. <laughs> we did that as well. Um, back to Chelsea for a moment because uh, from this performance, when you look at 4-0, it's difficult to say, isn't it, that there was anything to pick out that could be improved here. But I think the glaring thing for me was Erin Cuthbert being at left back. And what's that saying about Emma Hayes and how much she's trying. I feel like she's determined to play with wing backs. Yeah, yeah, no, clearly she's she's seen something and maybe that's a bit of a hangover from the Champions League, perhaps, where that was that was tricky. You know, obviously, I mean, they're missing Mara Mielder, who I think is absolutely massive, absolutely huge. You know, she's such an influence, um, you know, as a leader, but also as an absolutely quality player. So I think, yeah, they are they are light in that area. And I mean, to be honest, it's difficult because against Everton, Erin Cuthbert was absolutely incredible, um, but she didn't have to do much defending. When she did do it, she she was great. Yeah, um, she got player of the match, didn't she? She, was, she did, um, yeah. She was very good. No, I think, yeah, Rachel Brown-Finnis said, she, you know, she she was the one that was, you know, she, she just was back to her best. I read that she she said before the game that this is the, the first pre-season in three years where she's come into a pre-season fully fit because um, she's had a lot of injury problems and she's only scored two WSL goals in the previous two seasons. So, uh, she, you know, she's kind of been on the pitch, but not firing. And she just looks absolutely back to her brilliant best. I think a close second player of the match, in my opinion, was Jess Carter. Every single time Everton tried to go forward, she was just there in the, you know, I, I played against people like that. You're like, oh, you again, for God's sake, you know, just let me have an inch. And I'm really excited to see what she can do with England. So pleased for her that she's got got a recall. Uh, Robin, we should leave it there with you and get back to baby Morris. I hope he's well. hope he's going to start kicking a football around soon for you. Next time you take him for a day out, don't go to the motorway. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. Robin Cowan commentating on that game as uh, Chelsea trounced Everton. Thanks so much for joining us, Robin. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for having me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with myself, Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper, and our special guest this week is Tim Stillman, Arsenal women's correspondent for Ask Blog News. Let's focus then on Leicester, Manchester United. Now, Manchester United racking up a 3-1 win in this one. Leicester playing for the first time at the King Power Stadium. Ella Toon's stunning goal for United gave them a first-half lead before defender Maria Torres-Dotte made it 2-0 minutes after the restart. There was a reply from Abby Mc. Manus and then Martha Thomas sealing the deal for Manchester United for it to finish 3-1. Tim, let's uh, delve into this one then. Not not quite the start that Leicester would have wanted at the King Power Stadium, but Manchester United, again, really impressing me. And I think Mark Skinner's introduced some really key changes to this side. Yeah, 100%. And and actually, they're they're a little bit under the radar this season, it feels like, Manchester United, because they made a big splash last summer, bringing Heath and Press over and, you know, leading the league for the first half of the season. And it just feels like with some of the players that have drifted away, that some of that level of expectation has kind of gone down a little bit. And perhaps they are um, just a little bit under the radar, maybe, particularly with kind of Arsenal and Manchester City and Chelsea doing what they did in the summer. Um, but really, really impressive start and hugely impressive for Ella Toon as well. You know, talking about a lot of attackers left United this summer, it's put a lot more responsibility on her and she seems to be absolutely relishing it. Yeah, she's linking up really well with Leah Galton and Kirsty Hansen. Uh, Anya Badier as well. Jackie Gronin's uh, struck the post. So some chances there missed for United as well. And there were some interesting comments, Lindsay, from Mark Skinner after the game. He said too that there could have been more goals um, and that moving forward, they'll be working on the mindset of finishing, not just the technicality of it. I think he'll be delighted that Martha Thomas scored in this one. I think she needed that. She needed to get her account as a Manchester United player up and running. And you could see from the support as well how much they were wanting to get behind her and willing her to do that. I don't think she's the sort of finisher that's at the levels that she can be at the moment. Um, and I think that's probably through her choices and, and through the clubs that she's been at, like West Ham, where I, I think she struggled to get the delivery. She is going to get the delivery here and she needs to get used to the fact that those balls are going to be coming in and making those clever runs and being confident. And that will come through scoring. And I think that's something that he's touching on here in those remarks, Kate, because you have to have at this very top level of the WSL, which I think we put Manchester United in. And, you know, if you're going to go down the the lines of um, Carla Ward talking about this division being divided into two, they're in the, the top half, we would think. Um, you've got to have clinical finishers. And so I look at Ellen White and we talked about that Becky Spencer save to deny Manchester City there. 
but her finishing, honestly, she couldn't have done any more. She was on point a few times in that match against Spurs. And it was the resolute defending that prevented her. And I think at the moment, the very top teams could get at a, few, a couple of the forwards here for Manchester United. So they need to bring them up to scratch. I think that's what he's saying. And this will be just the tonic for it. It will it will get her account underway. And I think it will breed some confidence, which is what she needs. Yeah, two wins out of two for United. Um, the only downside, quite a serious injury sustained by defender Millie Turner. Oh, awful, yeah. Yeah, she was taken off on a stretcher, wasn't she, after receiving oxygen. I had a quick bit this morning to see if there was an update. Nothing that I can find yet, and yes, unless you guys know otherwise, but uh, we'll hope that she's okay. Next up, Birmingham City, Brighton. Brighton 5-0 winners, which in part is the reason they are very top of WSL going into the international break. Um, they've been scoring goals as well as being very difficult to break down. Dan Carter scored her first goal for Brighton as they thrashed Birmingham at St Andrews. Um, they have that top position at the moment, Tim. Um, but let's talk about Birmingham here because we are going to hear from Ellie Brazil, Brighton player, in just a moment. And I think a lot of people, including myself, relegated them early doors. I hope they take that as some motivation and and can prove people wrong but this performance I felt was a bit limp I think limp would be my word yeah absolutely and I, and I think one of them one of the things the WSL has missed that maybe we got a bit of last season is a good relegation battle because there's only one team that goes down and in quite a few seasons of the WSL there's just been that one team that you look at and go yeah they're probably going to go down and last season we had a bit of a relegation fight but I, I just wonder this season because I look at Aston Villa, West Ham, Spurs and they've all kind of improved I think or at least tried to improve in the summer. Birmingham kind of look like they're firefighting again. Lots of players leaving, lots of players coming in, good players coming in um, like Louise Quinn at centre half. I, I think a really, really good get for them. But I, I just look at them and I, I just, they, they look to me like there's just been too much turnover there and it's still a really small squad. And I, I have to say I'm quite fearful for them this season and, and on the evidence of this, rightly so. Well, let's move the chat then towards Brighton and how well they're doing. And we caught up with Brighton forward Ellie Brazil earlier today. Ellie, welcome to the Offside Rule. What a time to join us after a 5-0 victory, seven goals scored so far this campaign, two clean sheets. Um, what a fantastic time to be a Brighton player. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. Thank you for having me first off. Um, no, it's a brilliant time to be a Brighton player. Uh, I think, like you said, we're, we're top of the league. Um and we haven't had any conceded, loads of goals in. I think we, we're very much a team that just kind of take game by game. Um, and if you've met us all as individuals or as a group, you'd know that we don't get ahead of ourselves, which is just such a lovely group to be a part of. You, you get to a 5-0 win against Birmingham, which are a top-class side. And the post-match chat is, girls, turn around and look at that board. See that you've actually just won 5-0. And we're all cheering like we've just probably won the Champions League. Like it, it is that sort of environment that we're in right now. And it's so lovely. And hopefully we can just maintain and keep riding with it. You've always been a difficult side to break down. It's certainly under Hope Powell. She's made sure that you all know what your job is and that you're very organised. But you do really look like you've added goals this season. Is that something that's been a particular area that's been worked on? 
I think, yeah, I think, I think obviously we've had two strikers come into the mix, which helps the two new signings, Dan Carter and Renzola. Um, that obviously helps us in trainings as well as in the games to be able to have more attacking threats. Um, but I think you've got to have fundamentals in a team. And first off, you don't want to lose a game. So you've got to be solid at the back. You've got to be solid all the way through. And I think that's why we've always performed against the likes of Chelsea's and them, because it gets us all wound up. We really want to play them. We really want to show that we are so hard to beat. Um, but we've never been a, a team that's been that good at probably scoring the goals. We've just been really tough to beat. So now actually implementing that little bit of creativity, which we can further develop more. We know that, but it's it's great to actually see us score goals and think actually people should feel threatened by us more for us scoring goals now, not just because they can't score against us. You've got strength and depth, I think, now as well. Hope's got various options in different positions, and that certainly stood out to me so far this season with some of the changes that she's been able to make. And trust in each other, I know, is really important, isn't it? What does what does Hope do with you? I'm always keen to pick up a few tips. Um, what does Hope do with you? How does she work with you as players so that you so that you're syncing together as you appear to be doing so well? I think. I must say, in, in our pre-season this season, we were all very sceptical as players. I think she knows this. We're all very, oh, we've not actually all played with each, like we've all played different teams throughout all the pre-season friendlies. We haven't had one like this is our starting eleven come the season. She literally rotated the whole team every time we played a new team, which ended up in sometimes not the best results. Like when we played Everton, we lost 6-1. And that was, for most teams, probably a kick in the teeth to think, oh, my goodness, you're so close to the season and you're losing 6-1. But for us, it was like, actually, we haven't all played with each other before. We had Dan Carter as number nine. That's the first time we probably played with her. We have Renzola on the left, the first time we played with her. And you all just have you all just get thrown into this environment where you've got to be able to play with each other. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work. And that's what pre-season the four. And I think that's why... We've come out so strong this season. It's only two games, but it's been two very good games and the best start we've ever had because we're so used to just playing with everyone in the team now um, instead of just having a fixed 11 and then having the subs, which we've probably been guilty of prior in seasons. We did our preview show and I'd like to think that we were one of the one of the media outlets that didn't rule you out completely. By no means did we think you'd be top after two games. But I know Jen O'Neill, Kate, was was certainly singing Brighton's praises and we had you up there with Spurs. And I'd say both of you have, have started really, really well. Um, but is there an element of being used to in WSL? being typecast, being labelled as this is the team that's going to finish here and there's no way of infiltrating that that top three because it's not been done for so many years. So yeah, I, th I think for us as a team, we're labelled as the team who aren't actually going to be that successful, which we absolutely love. We think it's hilarious. We think, you know what, we are here just like everyone else. We train every single day just like everyone else. And yeah, okay, we may not be... We may not have the names individually, but as a collective, we can fight with each other, fight for each other against everyone else. And I think what we have, we've said it in so many interviews and so many times, what we have is togetherness. Um, and that's not something that a manager can just come in and say you need togetherness. You've got to form it as a squad. 
Um, and we we love it when people think like put us down and put us as the underdogs because we're like no no pressures on us. We can go out there and play our game, and there's no pressure on us when we go play Chelsea. Then when we come off and win two one, it's like headlines because it, it's it's not expected. Um, of course, we'd like a bit more praise because now we're going into stages of beating teams five nil, and deservedly we should be getting the praise for some of them goals that came out of the weekend. They were outstanding. Um, but I don't think we really mind that much about where people sit us. It's just we're very much in-house and what, what we believe we can do. We believe we can be a top four team in seasons to come or you never know this season. But we're, we're very, we, we have aspirations. Um, and yeah, we're, we're hoping to, uh, to set ourselves in a good way this season. Ellie, tell us about this brand new training facility. Mm-hmm. Um, you were singing its praises before before we jumped on the record, but just um, just elaborate for us. What are the clubs set up for you? Yeah, it, it's fantastic. I mean, you, you think about the men's game and um, how brilliant it is. And when you watch it as a fan, you think, oh my goodness, the, the men are amazing. And then you look at the facilities they've, they've got when you come over here and you have a look at it and you go, well, no wonder because they've, they've got everything. And it's, it's brilliant for them. And too right, they, they deserve it, what they've got, because then they can go out there and perform that well. Um, but then you look at us and we, we've been very fortunate, don't get me wrong, at the Amex where we've been based, they've been amazing with us. All the staff there have been absolutely fantastic, but we've never had the facilities like this. We've got a swimming pool to do recovery in, which the girls have done today. We've got um, an ice bath and uh, like a little jacuzzi, a hot tub, so you can do contrast to get yourself sorted. We've got our own kit room. So I I keep getting out the car in the morning and thinking, where's my boots? I don't have a clue where they are. They're they're still at work, which is just, it's funny. Everyone said it. We all think we've left them at home and we all get really scared before we get here. They used to be knocking around in the back of your boots. Yeah, they did. So it's it's quite funny. No, we've got so much. The pitches, the pitches, I think are probably what got us the result of the weekend. Um, just the surface we're playing on and then to go and play on the men's ground like St Andrews and have such a good surface, we're actually being able to train on that surface every day so we can play that one-two touch football now instead of training on where we did pr- previously and playing at Crawley, which I know we're going back to, but we'll know how to play good football and we'll know how to play football at Crawley. And we know that we're very hard to beat at Crawley. We've just got to be able to bring the one, two touch football, which we're working on every day on these lovely carpet pitches now. Yeah, no, not everyone's going to have those facilities, Ellie. So you are going to have to sometimes dig deep and go to those pokier grounds and the grounds that aren't like a a snooker snooker table surface. You're going to have to do that. But I I suppose you've got the memories and the the muscle memory, certainly, of doing that. Um, I want to talk about getting in a rhythm in WSL because I think a lot of things have happened over the first couple of weekends I know that conversations have happened about officiating and whether VAR should be introduced. And all of those conversations arise because we're wanting to progress the game, right? And we're wanting to take it to a new level. And just something that that I recognise and, and something I very briefly brought up with Kelly Chambers is this international break coming after two games. And then you look at the rest of the schedule. Is there a danger that teams like yourself that are having a good run will often have that run disrupted and that you can't get a rhythm together? I think, I think, yeah, I think you're probably very accurate at that. I think also 
there's there's the other side of it that you'd probably think teams like the Man Citys, the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's, the Man United's who have all their players gone for international are probably going to be worse off coming back in because they've all been playing with other players. Whereas at Brighton, we don't actually have that many that have gone away. So we're all kind of still here, still playing, still training all week, still preparing for the next game. So as much as we've got the likes of Kaylee Green and Anessa out, they'll come back in and they'll fit in and they'll know that we've been working really hard back here. And we've got, like I said, quite a lot of players still here. Um, so for those um, like the Arsenal's who have the majority of their players away, it's it's tough, I'd imagine, for them to all come back together and just sink and then play in that week's time. Um, whereas we're always together. So I think it's quite, as much as we're in a rhythm and we, we love it and we'd love to play Aston Villa this weekend because we're all buzzing for it. I think it's actually quite good for us to just kind of take a break and go again. Um, and let everyone who's gone away with international have their success and go enjoy themselves like they rightly should after the two performances they've given. Well, best of luck for the game against Aston Villa in a few weeks' time and also for the rest of the season, Ellie. We look forward to catching up with the team later on in the season. Cheers. Thank you very much. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. Okay, well, let's talk about the final game on our slate then. West Ham, Aston Villa, Remy Allen's late equaliser earning Villa a point at West Ham. Allen, who is the summer signing from Leicester, headed into the far corner to maintain Villa's unbeaten start to the season, won all the final score. You were at this one, um, Lindsay. Uh, I think Villa can be very proud of themselves, can't they? Four points uh, for the start of the season, first, first two games. Yeah, they will be. And they will have left uh, Chigwell and felt like they got three points, I think, with this one. Because when you score in the 92nd minute, in a game that I would say West Ham um, not necessarily dominated, but had the clearer cut chances. And there were there were spells and moments dotted throughout this match where West Ham, certainly in the first half, could have put it to bed and they didn't. Um, Adriana Leon, who scored, had another really good opportunity. I think she was ruining that on the f- final whistle, um, despite putting in such a good performance. But I think Remy Allen, I joked with her, I was like, you're going to be up there for uh, for top goal scorer. And she laughed because this is a second goal in two games for her. But she just has this ability and this knack of not only the not giving up and persisting right until the end, but of just popping up in the right places. I think she will get... (laughs) Right place, right Yeah, I think she'll get more goals than we think. Um, You know, if you look at this and think, oh, maybe she's just having a little purple patch. I actually think from her movement and her understanding and experience in the game she she will just pop up and she isn't scared to have a go and this was a header and have you seen the height of Remy Allen I mean she she had a little diving header but I mean she is not a tall player and um yeah I I I do love her guts being able to try and get on the end of that Tim just uh, asking you briefly then um about Villa one thing to note is that they've come from behind and achieved points from both of their games this season that sounds like a good bit of Carla Ward resilience to me and it's a great sign. 100% yeah and you know talking about Remy Allen you, you look at some of Villa's recruiting this summer you know Hannah Hampton, Alicia Lehman, uh, Gilnick as well quite high profile signings that you think really kind of lift 
um, certainly the ceiling of this squad, but Remy Allen as well, who just seems to have been around forever, um, I think since the beginning of the WSL essentially, and, and they've made her captain straight away as well. And I think that tells you something about how they view this signing. And, and absolutely, Remy Allen is, if you're, if you're thinking about a team um, with resilience uh, and who can fight back, like Remy Allen is is certainly the sort of player that you'd think of. But yeah, I, I think Villa are just, I, I'm really impressed with some of the summer business that Carla Ward's done there. And I, I don't view them as a relegation candidate this year. I think they'll be quite comfortable. We saw a, a glimpse as well of Gemma Davison, who they've also got in their ranks to him. Um, I had a chat with her on the sidelines just before the game kicked off. And she said to me, Emma Hayes told her to go here, go to Villa and play for Carla Ward. And so you can tell, can't you, what regard uh, as a manager Emma holds her in. And I think under her stewardship, I think Aston Villa will be absolutely fine. Good news for her. Well, let's move on to uh, just a quick assessment of the Champions League draw. We've got the group stages, of course. This came out a few days ago at Chelsea and Arsenal in terms of English interest. Um, Having a look at the fixtures. Uh, Chelsea, I've got a tough one here, Lindsay. Not not only Chelsea, I think Arsenal as well. Um, In fact, in each of these groups, one of the things that's happened via this rejig, we haven't got time to go into this, but the draws are tougher. So the reason that Manchester City exited early in the group stage they were facing a really, really good side. And I think Real Madrid as as competition were always going to be tough and you don't expect that as a qualifying match. And then you look at these groups and wow, you know, you've got Chelsea, you've got to face Wolfsburg, perennial winners and perennial finalists. I mean, they don't, they don't have as a, a good a record as they should have because Leon have just dominated for so long, but it could easily be Wolfsburg second up. Uh, Juventus are in this, who've been improving. So yeah, they've got Servette, who I think probably will be the, the ones they can all try and have as whipping <laughs> whipping team. But um, yeah, you look at Arsenal's as well, Barcelona, who are becoming better and better and stronger. Yeah, Tim, what do you make of Arsenal's? Barcelona, Arsenal, Hoffenheim and Coach, do you pronounce them? Yeah, yeah. So I think we definitely got the um, the toughest team in pot one. Um, and yeah, thinking about the draw, when you look at pot two, Arsenal, Wolfsburg, Leon, th- those aren't teams you'd expect to see in pot two of a Champions League draw. But um, yeah, I mean, Barcelona, you can look at it two ways. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure I see Arsenal taking points off Barcelona. But in terms of the glamour of the competition, and and in terms of Arsenal gauging exactly where they are at the moment in terms of the best teams in Europe, those, those games will be really, really interesting. I really hope the home one is played at the Emirates. And Hoffenheim, they, they've lost a few players this summer to uh, to Bayern and Wolfsburg, but did really, 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 really well in the qualifying round. One of the tougher teams from pot three as well. And Arsenal finished the group away at Hoffenheim in match day six. And that could be, I think that will probably be the decider for second place in the could group. Could be the decider. Here's a little Arsenal fact from the archives for us to have a little think about. So Arsenal played Barcelona, the Spanish champions, in their first European competition in 2012-2013. Arsenal won Tim 7-0 on aggregate Mm -hmm. in the last 32. Jem Beatty scoring four times. Yeah. They can only hope that that happens again. I I was at that game, yeah. It was played in the middle middle of the afternoon and I'd just finished playing football. So I literally went to watch it in my football boots. (laughs) How old were you, Tim? I was uh, 15. No, I was 28, (laughs) but I did get ID'd when I went for a pint afterwards. I think you'd still get ID'd now, Tim, to be honest. With the amount of greys I've got going on, I don't think so. You've got a baby face. (laughs) Right, Uh, the clock is ticking down on us, so we can't really go through the whole of the the rest of the draws, but I'm sure anyone who wants to do a 
quick Google, they can find out. Um, but for Arsenal and Chelsea, where we've put our focus, uh, the games start 5th and 6th of October, end 15th and 16th of December. Uh, the top two teams from each group progress to the quarterfinals. There is some Women's World Cup qualifying taking place, as we've alluded to. It's now the international break for the WSL. That The Republic of Ireland's fixture against Georgia has been postponed. So we've got Scotland taking on Hungary. Uh, we have England, of course, up against North Macedonia women. This is all taking place on Friday. That's at St Mary's in Southampton. Uh, Northern Ireland take on Luxembourg and Wales take on Kazakhstan. So um, seemingly fairly achievable. Probably Scotland have got the toughest one here, um, I think, unless I've underestimated anyone else's opponent, Tim. Um, but it'll be interesting. I think one of the standout things for this really is that we get to see Serena Wiegmann as England manager for the first time. Yeah, totally. And and England have had, um, I guess, England and Team GB uh, as a totality have had some disappointing results um, recently. I think Serena will really like this start because they'll probably win their first three qualifiers, I think, and it will just give her a real chance to have a a proper good look at what she's got with this squad. You're right as well, Kate. I think that Scotland are going to have a tough one here because they're without some key players. Caroline Weir's injured, Lucy Graham they haven't got. And remember, Kim Little has now retired. They're going to be interesting for them against Hungary. OK, well, on that note, let's bring proceedings to a close and just remind you that you can access all sorts of social media delight at Offside Rule Pod. You can head over to the website as well, offsiderulepodcast.com. Uh, Jesse Parker Humphreys uh, with their um, summing up five points of the weekend that she always outputs every sort of Monday or Tuesday. It's always a very interesting read from Jesse. And as we've rebranded somewhat, we've got a new name. I know some things have stayed the same, but what we could do is ask as well, Kate, for a review if you have been enjoying this show to start the season and it's been giving you some insight into WSL maybe it's even encouraged you to watch some of the matches uh, please get in touch with us but please as well leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your shows yes just five stars only please <laughs> uh, and your feedback would be most appreciated uh, Tim your feedback 10 out of 10 from me today thank you very much for joining <laughs> us my absolute pleasure thanks for having me and uh, next time we get you on Tim we'll see if Arsenal as I kind of hope they are and as you I'm sure hope they are uh, are still flying high with an unbeaten record let's see until next week we'll see you then you've been listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast you can listen ad free via the Athletic app Keep up to date with everything we're doing by going to The Athletic UK or at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Insta. And you can find out the latest subscription offers by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast was an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.